from the Living Bread Radio Network and Look Up Here Productions, this is Open Your Hymnal, the show that explores the most beloved, enduring, and consequential songs we sing at Mass. Here are your hosts, Matt Reichert and Zach Stahowski. Hello and welcome back, Open Your Hymnal listeners. My name is Zach Stahowski. And my name is Matt Reichert, and we are really pleased to have you with us today. Um, Zach, before we get into today's episode, I think we need to take a couple of minutes just to talk about our um, beginning of the week. Uh, We spent three amazing days in Canton, Ohio, with a really lovely parish community for a pre-Lenten mission, the first pre-Lenten mission, actually, that we've offered, and the first Open Your Hymnal Live event. When we hatched the idea for the podcast a few years ago, I never would have thought we'd find ourselves leading a parish mission with Marty Haugen. I was humbled by the welcome and the warmth of the people of St. Michael the Archangel. I was blown away by the commitment of this parish to deepening their faith, uh, to coming out three nights in a row to learn about sung prayer and the liturgy. Yeah, I feel the exact same way, Zach. It was it was wonderful to hear from people about um, how they've been listening to this program, what this program has meant to them, and of course, just what what this type of music, what liturgical music, means to people in their faith life and in the lives of their communities. And in a way, doing the preparation for this parish mission, it was great to look back on all the episodes and the interviews that we've done and to do a bit of a survey of all the things that we've learned about sung prayer and uh, people's approach to liturgical music. And today we're going to be looking back as well. We are going to be bringing you our conversation with composer and text writer Alan Hummerding about his song From Ashes to the Living Font. Um, This will be our first in a weekly series of episodes we'll be releasing during Lent. So please enjoy this conversation from back in February of 2018. So it seems like we were just recording Dan Cantor's episode for uh, the beginning of Advent, and here we are, Matt, already on the cusp of Lent. Yes, um, I would like listeners to know that I had proposed that we begin in silence, uh, just to mark the mark the the, the solemnity of the season. But um, Zach insisted that all of you like our playful banter, and so here we <laughs> if are. you want, you could listen to our episode of Silence. We'll release it as a as a special feature sometime, <laughs> or you could fast forward to the four minute mark. That would be just fine too. <laughs> So, Matt, do you have any uh, particular Lenten observances that you do? Anything that uh, gets you through the season? I will admit I am one of those closeted, not so closeted now people who really likes Lent. Like my two favorite seasons of the liturgical year are Advent and Lent. And um, and I certainly would not have said that like seven year old me is, you know, shaking his head right now. Um, like I've come to appreciate uh, Lent, but I, I usually try to give something up, of course. Um, but lately I have tried to also add something new or to do something in addition, something that, you know, hopefully will be a, a good habit or, or just sort of, you know, last beyond the season. So so that's what I've been doing. What about you, Zach? Yeah, um, m- much of the same. Uh, I find myself... Um just so swamped in work. I know a lot of our listeners who are also directors of liturgy and music are are just buried this time of year. So really just trying to kind of stay above that still like, you know, finding um, opportunities for my own uh, spiritual development. Um, Just really trying to make, you know, just stay above all the busyness that Lent will entail for us. Do you find as a music director that Lent is a time that you you enjoy, or do you find that Lent is a period that you just sort of dread? It's kind of a both-and situation. It's, it's, it's weird because I think churches understand that Lent is a time where parishioners are— it's like the one time of year that parishioners are looking for extra things to do um, because, you know, they're trying to— observe Lent trying to be in the season and so because of that we just start programming like crazy and while I think it's great to to provide those opportunities it is it is draining but um, I do get a lot out of the fact that people are really um, 
you know, trying to find intentional ways of praying and, uh, you know, just deepening their spiritual life. Yeah, and I, I find, you know, not unlike Advent, and I think maybe we discussed this in our Dan Cantor episode, um, I find that one of the things I appreciate about Lent is because it is so distinctive as a season, um, I really appreciate a lot of the music that's available to be sung and prayed during Lent. And so I really enjoy the, you know, five Lenten Sundays, Ash Wednesday, when we actually get to experience that music, um, because most of the year, of course, we don't get to enjoy that repertoire. That's right. And definitely the way that it's composed, the texts that are used give the whole season um, a very specific tone. I think it's a very intentional tone. And um, I think it's it's something that really makes uh, Lent a special time to pray. Yeah. And, and I'm glad that you, you specifically singled out the text for the season because, of course, our episode today focuses on a piece that that I'm I, I think is distinctive for a couple of reasons. One, we're really focusing on a text today from Ashes to the Living Font. And so our conversation will will be focused a lot on that. But also this is our first episode where we're really intentionally discussing a hymn tune. And we haven't really cracked into the the exciting world of hymnody yet in our in our program. So please open your hymnal to From Ashes to the Living Font. Hello, this is Alan Hummerding. I'm Senior Liturgy Publications Editor at World Library Publications in Chicago. I am also a composer, a hymn text author, and a pastoral musician. Well, Ashes to the Living Font is an example of what I would say the sort of thing I enjoy doing the most as a text author, and maybe it, it's an example of the sort of text where my skill set really lies. The text was commissioned by an RCIA coordinator. She wanted something that would make a bridge from Ash Wednesday through the whole season of Lent and look forward to Easter and even to the coming of the Spirit at Pentecost because that whole uh, 90 days total from Ash Wednesday to Pentecost is really the period uh, in, in which uh, folks in the RCIA are having their, their most substantial and frequent encounters with the church. And so that's why the final stanza speaks of the cross and the tomb and Easter joy and being fulfilled in the Spirit's fire. And why the first stanza talks about the journey from the ashes of Ash Wednesday to the font of Easter vigil and you know, Easter, the sprinkling rite, and so on of that whole season. So it was really a request when that commission came to me to build bridges between all of that or to find a way to help people find uh, the unity in that whole season or the combination of seasons and originally I just wrote uh, stanzas that matched the year A readings for Lent because those are the scrutiny gospels you know and so on and the the hymn was put into the 1994 we celebrate hymnal and it just kind of uh, took off it got a really really good response and within a few years, people were saying, well, can you write verses for years B and C of the lectionary as well? And I said, well, of course I can. And it you know, it took me, I think, maybe seven or eight years, but I, <laughs> I finally did it. So, so now, not only on the Sundays where the scrutiny gospels are read, but also the other two years of the Lenten uh, Sunday cycle, uh, Ashes to the Living Font has verses uh, proper to each of those Sundays. I can remember when we were sitting down with Alan that one of the things I found so fascinating about the genesis for this hymn text is that it came from a position of RCIA. And I appreciate that because I think for me, as I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, 
the reason why I like Lent so much or I like Advent so much is that when these two seasons of preparation are done well, they really point beyond themselves. And so to hear Alan talk about how this text really is catechetical, really points us from this season, from ashes through to Easter and to Pentecost, to the living font, um, you know, really, really opened up those riches a little more. And, and Zach, I don't know if you recall this, but both in our episodes or our interviews with Rory Cooney and Fran O'Brien, they talked about, you know, the same kind of catechetical recipe pointing from one season to the next. I think of um, Fran's piece, uh, Wood of the Cradle, Wood of the Cross. And I think that direction pointing us to something bigger to the next season down the road is, is so important for forming communities. I think that's true. I think I've mentioned this before. I forget what episode it was, but knowing our place now on this side of salvation history, I think it's important that the music that we program and the texts that we sing encompasses like a commentary on the entirety of the liturgical year. Like we can, yes, let's let's pick our Lenten hymns, but Lent is our journey uh, to Easter and and beyond. Yeah, and I, I think I think that's well said. And that I think for me helps encapsulate why I appreciate Lent. And and I think you're right. Sometimes I feel that culturally people who say, Oh God, I, I can't stand Lent, um, you know, it, I, I don't understand that because it's almost as though they feel like Lent is a season where we forget about Easter. And of course we just know that that's not true. When Ashes to the Living Font was commissioned, the tune that it was intended to be set to was Land of Rest. From ashes to the living font. Because the parish had a, not unusual, I guess, uh, you know, had a, a contemporary group, then some standard just keyboard and canter liturgies, and then one with you know, a choir and organ and, and much more formal, but uh, they selected that tune because it would really translate a little bit better across the, uh, the different liturgies at the parish. So when it went into the 1994 We Celebrate hymnal, Mike Hay, who was the lead editor of that hymnal, uh, said, well, you know, this is the, sa the same meter as St. Flavian, which everybody or many, most Catholics, associate with a Lord who threw out these 40 days. And so I said, well, yeah, you know, I, I understand that relationship. I understand that connection. And I, I will say the first time I heard the text sung to St. Flavian instead of Land of Rest, it was a little... I don't know, a little bit of cognitive dissonance for me, but you know, it was only because it had lived in me with that other tune for so long. So I, you know, I think it works uh, great with Saint Flavian, but it was uh, originally Land of Rest that was uh, requested, and it was that meter that I wrote it to. So, Zach, I think we should pause here and spend a little bit more time just talking about what hymn tunes are and how they work. Alan has just shared with us that originally this text was meant to accompany a different hymn tune. And, you know, perhaps some of our listeners aren't aware of how hymn tunes and metrical indices and all of that work. Well, I guess I would back up even just one step before that and say, you know, so often people use the word hymn as a catch-all for like all of these songs that uh, we talk about on the podcast. People will call On Eagle's Wings or You Are Mine a hymn. And I, I think in the very general sense of the term, they're right. Um, but when we're talking about hymnody uh, in the sense of uh, From Ashes to the Living Font, we're talking about uh, when metrical texts are set to hymn tunes. Uh, so in the case of From Ashes to the Living Font, you have a hymn text, which is structured in the meter 8686, 
which is eight syllables followed by six syllables, eight syllables, six syllables. And that is paired in this instance to the tune St. Flavian. Um, so the hymn tune St. Flavian could be used for a variety of hymns that also use the meter 8686. Uh, this is why uh, a lot of hymnals will include a metrical index with the hymn tunes so that if you want to pair different texts with different tunes or if you have a text that's not in the hymnal but you want to use the tune, you can do a mix and match uh, so that you can uh, use whatever tune or text that you want. Especially when it comes to meter and and rhyme, I, I like to point out that it's uh, not an accident that we all learned our ABCs to a song. And... Our brains are, whatever term you want to use, wired or structured or have evolved to respond to patterns and rituals. I mean, how did you learn to drive? You just went through the ritual time and time again. How did you learn to use utensils at the table? You were ritualized into that. So our brains are really designed for things that are patterned and things that are repeated. So this is one of the great... Uh, gifts or the real potential that hymn texts have for the life of faith, I think, because things that are in regularized metrical patterns and things that rhyme are more easily retained it, but long term. And again, it's uh, not an accident that children learn many things through rhyme. It, it's just one of the ways we do. Of course, then, you know, you can point to any number of uh, lines or, you know, hymn texts or refrain texts that people know thoroughly by heart, and they don't rhyme and they have 13 syllables. You know, of course, there are always those things, but at root level, uh, meter and rhyme are, are two of the things our brains are really designed to respond to and to kind of gravitate toward. Some of the things that Alan will add here coming up just to further this conversation, you know, take take off from this entry point that where we are now. And that is that, you know, while we can mix and match texts and hymn tunes, you know, assuming that the, the, the meter matches, does not always mean that we can do so successfully. You know, to find another 8686 text that speaks of, you know, something very joyful or having to do with the resurrection and to match it with a hymn tune that's often associated with Lent wouldn't necessarily be the best choice, for example. And the second issue that he'll talk about is, what happens when we can swap out text with tunes sometimes is that we end up over-relying on the same few hymn tunes and, and end up actually what he calls evaporating our repertoire. Uh, I, will, I will say on the Pray Tell blog that's run out of St. John's University, I wrote uh, an entire entry about uh, hymn texts and meters and so forth. The downside of assigning a new text to a familiar tune and we're starting to see this actually as something of a trend is that the pool of known hymn tunes is starting to evaporate a little bit and I you know I think honest to goodness the day will come when we're singing absolutely every hymn either to hymn to joy or to beach spring uh, so and I and actually, the, the blog post I wrote on this was, it was part of a series I wrote called Unnecessary Impoverishments. And, and, and I think that it's great that a congregation can appropriate a new hymn text rather quickly if they sing it to a melody they already know. But then somewhere along the line, I, I think... If, especially if you're dealing with a hymn tune that has a very strong and particular association. Uh, I've, I've seen uh, the Passion Chorale, O Sacred Head Surrounded, you know, showing up places with lots of different texts, and I'm, I'm not sure if somewhere down the road that that's a good thing if 
your hymnal has 20 texts <laughs> set to the Passion Chorale, then when you get to O Sacred Head on Good Friday, uh, you run the risk of it being diminished somewhat. It's like, oh, we sing this all the time. It's not this really, really extraordinary thing. Uh, so I, I think it's, you know, uh, singing uh, texts with different tunes will, uh, will actually give, even though we're talking about sound, it gives the text a different color. If you sing a text to a triumphant tune, like Hymn to Joy, or if you sing it to a more lyrical tune like Beach Spring, you can give different color to the very same words. And so I think like anything else that uh, liturgical musicians do, it's an art, it's a craft, you know, and uh, you know, proceed with caution and don't get uh, overly enthusiastic about this, you know, wow, you know, we can, we can do this hymn and we can do that hymn and that hymn and that hymn and we can just do them all to Passion Chorale because as a liturgical musician you also have to care about what happens on Good Friday or Palm Sunday you know, when you might sing O Sacred Head. Since our conversation with Alan, I've been thinking a lot about this concept of, you know, hymn tune evaporation, as as Alan stated it. And and I've been thinking about the community where where I worship, and I don't know if we have really experienced that same type of evaporation or not. Um, we're we're an older parish, and we've used a wide variety of music resources, and I think actually one of the things that's helped us avoid that hymn tune evaporation is that, you know, and I know some people don't like them, but we use a projection screen, you know, ever since the new translation came in. And that actually has allowed us to use a wider breadth of, of hymn tunes and texts, I think. Um, Zach, what about your parish? I know you just recently moved to a new parish. Um, do you get a sense that your new community has a pretty good arsenal of hymn tunes? Or do you think they're kind of in this situation where maybe they only know a handful really well? I believe that they do know a lot of hymn tunes. Um, what I'm starting to gather, though, is that they know different ones than my previous parish does. Um, and it's it's been a, a learning curve uh, for sure, trying to just figure out what my assembly now uh, knows that's different. Things that um, were so commonplace for me for the last nine years are completely new uh, for this assembly. But... I think, again, one of the utilities of, of hymn tunes is that it it does provide a substantial amount of common ground that even if they don't know um, a particular text for a hymn tune, the fact that they know the tune at all um, provides uh, some fertile ground to introduce uh, new texts. One resource that might be helpful, especially to those of you listening who are members of NPM, is a video interview that Zach and I did with Lynn Trapp and Jennifer Pasquale. We interviewed them this past summer in Cincinnati at the NPM convention, and the topic of our interview was the hymn tunes every parish should sing. So be sure to visit the NPM website and check it out. Another resource, if you're not familiar with it already, is the website hymnary.org. It's an amazing website that is very comprehensive, including hymn tunes and hymn texts across a whole swath of Christian hymnals. So if you want to know more about any hymn tune, you want to find different meters, different texts that go with hymn tunes, be sure to check out that website. Most recently, there was a St. Francis Xavier Parish in Michigan who commissioned a text for their parish anniversary and you know to their credit they did not want a text that could be sung to an existing tune because they wanted their own they wanted their own melody for their anniversary as well and so i i very very intentionally wrote outside any parameter of any commonly known meter for a hymn 
And so I think one of the one of the solutions is that people who are writing, especially strophic hymn texts, be aware of this and really write so that composers have to write new melodies. And it, it to me, uh, when you do that, it's it's sort of like you know double the Holy Spirit. Uh, you know, I because I was praying for the Spirit to work as I. I worked with this new meter and structure I'd sort of created. And then the composer, Nick Palmer, you know, got to, to work with the Holy Spirit and we worked together. And so this is why I, I always enjoy working with somebody in that way because you get, you get double the Holy Spirit. Uh, I think one of the other ways to address this, aside from new works being in unique meters is uh, to keep searching. And this was uh, something uh, my World Library colleague, Tom Strickland, recommended. And he said, well, you know, even in 8787D, which is a very, very common meter, there are many, many more tunes besides the four or five that we know and use to that. So his his recommendation, and I think it's a great one, is to, even when it's a common meter, don't automatically revert to that handful of tunes that you already know in that meter, but uh, you know, work with the people you serve to uh, learn something new and, and sing a new song to the Lord, huh? <laughs> One of the things that I have been working on at my new parish is trying to establish a common repertoire between all the different mass groups. Um, prior to me getting there, um, a lot of different groups would do different songs at the masses. And I'm realizing that a lot of our problems in the repertoire is just because depending on what mass you would go to on a given Sunday, you might sing a completely different set of songs. And as I was preparing for uh, recording this podcast, it got me to thinking that probably the great place to start are hymn tunes because it is this common ground, this foundation of singable, easy-to-learn melodies um, that you can pair a variety of texts two um, that uh, the assembly can immediately engage in. And so I think that's the importance of making sure that our hymn tune repertoire does not evaporate. Would you advocate for a moratorium on certain hymn tunes? <laughs> they're, they're, they're... I mean, and I, I say that... I say that kind of tongue-in-cheek, but I mean, I, I'm not picking on any hymn tunes, right? Um, but I, I think kind of like our, our last episode with Gary Daigle, where you know, eventually he said, look, as we write new pieces, we are not going to use these same chord progressions any longer because we've already used them. I think that's great. I wonder if, if we were to say, here are hymn tunes we use a lot, and we will continue to use them, of course, when it's right and with these you know, certain texts. But beyond that, we're going to give ourselves permission to sing other hymn tunes, additional hymn tunes, beyond just the handful that are in the hymnal. Um, I, I wonder if, if some sort of bold strategy like that shouldn't be required. Yeah, <laughs> the only one that comes to mind for me, because I think it, it really does show up a ton of times in the hymnal, is um, Beach Spring. And it's funny because there are so many tunes to the meter of 8787. And yet, you know, I, I, so while I would never advocate for a, a moratorium on Beach Spring because I love that tune, I think maybe tunes like that, that, you know, just appear over and over, uh, would be a good place to start saying, Maybe there's a different way to sing as a fire is meant for burning, you know. Maybe there's a different way to sing God of day and God of darkness, you know, th things like this. The composer Francis Poulenc 
spoke of words and music together as uh, needing to be a happy marriage, not a marriage of convenience, or a happy union, not a marriage of convenience. And uh, so, personally, that's one of the the tests I always I always give it: uh, is this a marriage of convenience, or is this something that is a really happy union? And uh, you know, sometimes maybe it's both. It's like, wow, look how great, look how great this fits to this very familiar melody, you know. And it, but it keeps alive the, a sense of the season or whatever. Uh, so it's you know, e- each uh, new match is a <laughs> it becomes its own little artistic endeavor. I'm sure every church musician can recall where they were when they first learned that the words to Amazing Grace and the Gilligan's Island theme song fit each other. So I said, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see, was blind, but now I see. And I've actually shared that with a couple congregations, you know, and it, you know, it gets, you know, some laughter and everything, but it also is a, a real eye-opener, you know, to people that this is a thing you can do. You know, so, and I usually do that if, uh, if I say we're going to sing some text to a tune you don't necessarily associate it with. And uh, it, it actually opens up the, the minds of your congregation that this is a, a possibility. And I just always, you know, try to communicate my personal uh, joy or the way that I relish as a musician this uh, opportunity or this possibility uh, for you know singing, singing not the same old song, but maybe taking a a, a familiar text and renewing it uh, through a, a new melody, or maybe even an unfamiliar melody. And now here is a recording of "From Ashes to the Living Font" in its entirety. And now it is time for the Open Your Hymnal playlist. This is the part of the show where Zach and I get to share with you additional music drawn from themes in today's episode. Uh, Zach, why don't you go ahead and share with us your first selection? So Alan mentioned in the episode how we tend to get very narrow with our use of hymn tunes, often using the same few over and over again. 
So I wanted to share with you all uh, my setting of a text I've always loved. It's a text by Shirley Arena Murray called Come and Find the Quiet Center. Come and find the quiet center In the crowded life we One of the things I think that is so powerful about this Lenten text that we talked about today is how it really spans the season and helps orient our experience of Lent in the expectation of Easter joy. And so I wanted to share another text that does something similar. Um, so this is from Sister Genevieve Glenn. This is the song The Thorn Tree with music by Scott Crandall. And the text begins looking at Christ's birth and moves through um, Christ's suffering and crucifixion, burial, and resurrection as the verses move through. So please enjoy the thorn tree.
I thought it would be interesting to also take a look at how some more contemporary artists are using hymn texts for the basis of their songs. And so this is a setting by John Angotti of another Alan Hammerding text. This is called In the Arms of Jesus. I am the Savior of all people, says the Lord. Whatever their troubles, I will answer the cry. And I will always be the Lord. I am the shelter from the storm. In the arms of Jesus is where I long to be, safe from the trials that are heavy on me. We come to the table with our fears, O oh Lord, rescue me. You're the shelter from the storm. Oh Christ, your hands reached out to heal the sinful, sick, and lost. Teach us to reconcile, no matter what the cost. Oh Christ, you raised your arms in prayer to bless the living. God, you said take and eat and drink and love your body and your blood in the arms of Jesus is where I long to be safe from the trials that are heavy on me we come to the table with our fears oh you stretch forgiving arms on holy calvary you showed surrender there and dying we are freed in cross and table sacrifice we know your own embrace help us to live these signs of heaven's saving grace in the arms of Jesus, that's oh, where I long to be. That's where I long to be. In a few weeks, we will be releasing a new special feature that focuses just on highlighting the music of this season and the, the wonderful treasury that we have here during Lent. Um, but before we get to that, I, I did want to share another Lenten song that um, I, I just found to be really lovely and has meant a lot to my home community um, during the beginning of this season. So this is the song Loving and Forgiving by Scott Soper. Loving and Forgiving are you, O Lord, slow to anger, rich in kindness, loving and forgiving are you. All my being, bless the Lord, bless the holy name of God, all my being. Remembering the goodness of God. Loving and forgiving are you, O Lord. So to anger, rich in kindness. 
I wanted to end today with another text from Alan. Um, this is a setting of his text, Your Love, O Lord, by Ed Eicher, um, who uses the tune London Dairy Air. So I thought this was a fitting way for us to end today, and I hope you enjoy it. Thank you for listening to Open Your Hymnal, and special thanks to Alan Hammerding for joining us. For more information about the songs you heard, links to purchase this music, and additional resources can be found at our website, openyourhymnal.com. Production assistance and support for this episode was provided by World Library Publications. Be sure to follow Open Your Hymnal on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you haven't yet, you can subscribe to the podcast through iTunes and Google Play. For Open Your Hymnal, I'm Zach Stahowski. And I'm Matt Reichert. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Open Your Hymnal. All content of this episode is property of Look Up Here Productions or its content suppliers and is protected by United States and international copyright law. For more information about this show and its use, please visit openyourhymnal.com.